I'm going to invite you now to take your Bibles and with me to Daniel chapter 10. The passage that Paul read for us, we're going to be looking at all of chapter 10 this morning. As you're turning there, um, Andrew and I want to thank uh, many of you who have been bringing meals to us over the course of the last few weeks. It's uh, greatly appreciated. Um, I mean, some of the food has been out of this world. Lemon cake, lemon pie. You know, all the food groups are in that, aren't they? Um, but uh, amazing food, actually. Actually, I'm not sure if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to help us or kill us with some of the food that's been coming, but it's, uh, it's really been great. We appreciate it, and it's taken some of the pressure off of us. Um, as you're turning to Daniel 10, I also want to uh, make reference to Albert Simon, who passed away this week, uh, a dearly loved and greatly respected elder at Thessalon First Nation. Many of you will remember that he and his wife Mary and his sister Vicky were here about nine years ago, and we used to send a number of uh, summer teams up there to do evangelism at uh, Thessalon First Nation. So uh, he passed away this week, and I would ask that you be in prayer for Mary and prayer for our daughter Mary Lou as well, who will be speaking at uh, the funeral service. We have finally arrived now at the final lengthy section of the prophecy that Daniel has put into writing for us. Chapters 10 through 12 should be seen as a whole. What we have here in chapter 10 is actually a preface to the broader vision that is outlined for us in chapter 11 and a part of chapter 12. It's the preface to perhaps one of the most detailed prophecies in all of God's Word. Now, chapter 10 is going to describe for us how this prophecy was delivered to Daniel. There are important details here in chapter 10 and helpful insights, insights into what was going on in Daniel's time, insights, I think, into all of history itself, and insights into what is happening even in our own day across the world. So our focus here in chapter 10 is going to be on how this vision or how this prophecy came to Daniel, who it was that gave it to him, who were the various players at work here in the story, what exactly did Daniel see, how did it affect him personally, and what was the reason why God gave this vision to him. Next Sunday morning, we will look into the details of chapter 11 and the first part of chapter 12. Chapter 12, or chapter 10, in my opinion, is one of the most fascinating passages in all of God's Word. There are some insights in this passage into the nature of reality itself, insights into how we should perceive our world and what is going on. Chapter 10 presents us with a way to look at the world. It gives to us a vision of reality. It gives to us a worldview. To put it in another way, it gives to us an accurate set of glasses that we can look through, lenses we can look through, to really see and understand what is happening in the world. I'm convinced that Daniel chapter 10 clarifies for you and I what we all know intuitively and experientially, that human causes and effects are not the only forces and influences that are operating in our world today. So we're going to approach this passage by doing two things. First of all, I want to give you an overview of what happens in this passage and make a number of conclusions. I want us to just, in a sense, observe what we have here in Daniel chapter 10. Then, the second part, we're going to ask, what can we learn from what we have observed in this overview? What conclusions can we make? Uh, what does it tell us about reality, history, what is happening in our world today? How can we apply what Daniel reveals to us here to living the gospel in this antagonistic age in which we live. What kind of a worldview must we have? That will be the second part. 
So the first part now is an overview of Daniel chapter 10. And I want you to notice, first of all, the historic setting. It's mentioned for us in verses 1 and 2. And here we read that this happens now in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now, there's a little historical foot, footnote that, that Daniel adds here, and we might read over this and not think anything of it. But remember, in Daniel chapter 9, the vision that Daniel receives of the 70 weeks or the 77s of years, that happens in the first year of, Cy of Cyrus's reign. So this now is in the third year. In the first year, Cyrus issued a decree that allowed the Jews to go back to their land, to come out of captivity, to go back to the Holy Land, reestablish their city, and to rebuild their temple. This is now two years later. Two years later. And what do we know happened during these two, this two-year period? Well, we know from Ezra chapter 1 that things were not going very well. The Jews who decided to leave Babylon at this point in time and go back to the Holy Land were opposed by those who lived in the land. We refer to them today as the Samaritan people. Remember the Samaritans and the Gospels. Jesus talked about the parable of the good Samaritan, and there was the Samaritan woman who came to Jesus at Jacob's well. These were Jews who had stayed behind. They weren't taken into captivity, but they stayed behind, and they had intermarried with the pagan people of the land. Now when the Jews return, the Samaritans are opposing the rebuilding of the city and the rebuilding of the, temp the temple there. In other words, these were days of crisis. If you go back to chapter chapter 9, verse 25, Daniel received this vision of the 70 weeks, and it was very, very clear that in the first seven, seven weeks of years that it would be a time of trouble. Those are the exact words that are used in chapter 9, verse 25. That's what's happening here. This is in that first seven period of years. So Daniel had heard about the struggles that were going on in Jerusalem. He knew about the setbacks that were taking place. And he sought an answer from the Lord. And though the word prayer is not used in verse 2, it's clear that Daniel is praying. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Verse 3, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until three weeks were over. So it appears that from the re reception of the news that things were not going well, Daniel goes to prayer and he prays for 21 days. And an answer is given to him. And the answer begins in verse 1 where it says that a revelation was given to Daniel. Literally, a word was given to him. A revelation was given to him. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The revelation is about a great war, and the details of that war are found in chapters 11 through chapter 12, where we'll be in a couple of weeks' time. The revelation of a great war, and this revelation of a great war, if you go down to verse 8, in verse 8 he refers to a great vision that was just given to him. So the revelation of this great war unfolds in this great vision that Daniel receives. So keep that in mind, a great war and a great vision, chapters 10 through 12. Now what specifically did Daniel see in this great vision? Well, he tells us beginning at verse 4 that the first thing that he saw was a man, a man clothed or dressed in linen. On the 24th day of the first month, verse 4, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man, a man dressed in linen. And then Daniel describes what this man looked like. And as you read the dis dis description through, you realize immediately this man is not a man. The description we have here is of someone dressed like a priest, but he is more than a priest. There are some awesome features to this man. The description points to someone greater than a man. So many people speculate at this point in time, is this, is this a vision of God? Is, is this a vision that Daniel had of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this man an angel? Is he some kind of heavenly being? 
Well, some say, as I mentioned, that, 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 that this is a, a vision of God himself or of Christ. The problem I have with that is if, if you go to chapter 12, verse 7, the same man speaks and he swears an oath. And um, chapter 12, verse 7, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, though the one who lives forever is God. So this is, this is some other kind of a being swearing by the name of God himself. Also in verse 11, if you look at verse 11, it says here, he said to Dan, Daniel, Daniel, you are, who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for what I, and stand up for I have now been sent to you. God never gets sent anywhere. God does the sending. So this is certainly a messenger. We could say it was Christ because we know that Christ was sent into the world by God the Father. And if we were to read Revelation chapter 1 today, we would see that what, how John the Apostle in his vision describes Jesus and what he saw of Jesus in Revelation 1 is very similar to the description that is given here. But I don't think it's Jesus. And I say that because in verse 13, this man who was clothed in linen, he needs help. And there's a struggle going on in the heavenly realm. And in verse, um, verse thir 13, it is very clear that Michael was sent to him to help him. I don't think Jesus needs any help. I think this is someone other than the Lord Jesus. So who is it? Well, it is, is, it is an angel. Now, I would say not any kind of angel because the description that is given here shows that this is an angel of great importance. I believe it is an archangel. An archangel meaning a chief angel or a leading angel, an angel who is over other angels. Now, some would say that who we have here is Gabriel, and it may very well be, but interestingly, in other portions in Daniel, Gabriel is mentioned by name, and here, Daniel does not mention his name. So let's just refer to this man dressed in linen as an unidentified messenger angel. And I say that because clearly in the passage, he's coming to deliver a revelation, a message to the prophet. He's going to deliver an important word to him about this great war, but this heavenly messenger angel is delayed. He's delayed in getting to Daniel by 21 days. Verse 12, and he continued, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So presumably then, after the 21 days, this angel comes to deliver the message. Now this takes us to the second observation I want to make, is you'll notice in verse 12 and 13, he refers to the prince of the Persian kingdom. Go down to verse 20. So he said, again, this is the man dressed in linen, do you know why I have come to you? Since soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. There's the prince of Persia again. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. So who is the prince of Persia? And who is the prince of Greece? Again, these are spiritual beings. And it's clear from the passage that these spiritual beings are opposing the messenger angel and are in some kind of a battle with Michael. In the heavenly realms then, there are these evil spiritual beings that are opposing the work of God. Now the Bible sheds some light on all, on all of this. The Bible talks about angels as being fallen. There are fallen angels. Sometimes the Bible refers to demons as wicked spirits or unclean spirits or unclean demons. But the demon that is mentioned here is not just any kind of demon. Not your rank and file demon. 
there is a title that is given to him, to both of them, the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece. I think Ephesians chapter 6 will shed some light uh, on this for us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we, hopefully we can get that up on the screen. This is a verse that many of us know. I want you to notice how Paul um, uses several different phrases to refer to demons. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not physical in nature. But against the rulers, the King James Version says against the principalities, which is where we get our word, or is, is a derivative of the word prince. Against the rulers, against the princes against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places or in the heavenly realms. Now, some people read this verse and say, well, well Paul's just using a number of different phrases to refer to demons. Well, well yes, he is, but, but it appears to me that Paul, I believe, is actually giving us a hierarchy that in the heavenly realms, in terms of, of demons, there is a hierarchy of spirits like an army, an army that has different ranks. An army has privates and corporals and sergeants and lieutenants and captains and, and majors and colonels and generals. And in the same way, the, 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 the army of the evil one is, has organized itself in a certain way. And at the top of the list, there are the rulers, the, the princes, the principalities. And here two of them in Daniel chapter 10 are mentioned. Prince of Persia, he has something to do with the nation of Persia. It is as though this prince is orchestrating the work of the demonic within the Persian realm. And the prince of Greece will do the same thing among the empire of Greece, working within them. We know that Satan was cast out of heaven. He was cast down to the earth, and he has been fighting God's people on earth ever since. Clearly, these princes have influence in the affairs of these nations. Chapter 10, verse 13 makes that very, very clear. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. So God was doing something in Persia that this demonic prince was resisting, opposing. And so this messenger was held up from delivering the message. I think here we get a glimpse into the mystery of the things that you and I cannot see. We're given here a window into the unseen world, which, friends, is just as real as that which we can see and feel and touch. We're given a window into what is going on behind the scenes that occur on the earthly plane. We have an expression that there is more than meets the eye, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. There's more than what meets our naked eye. Now, at this point, I want to skip down to the, to the, the fifth point. I want to skip the fourth point, which is in the, the, out, the outline that you have received. And I want to drop down to the fifth point, and that is the protector prince. We'll come back to the, first, the fourth point in just a moment. The protector prince. Michael is mentioned here in verse 13. Notice what it says. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And if you go now to verse 20 and 21, actually verse 21, no one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. So Michael is a chief prince. He is referred to as your prince, whether this is a, a, a personal reference to Daniel or a personal reference to the people of God. I think it means the people of God because if you go to chapter 12, verse 11, go to chapter 12, verse 11, It's not verse 11 that I'm, that I'm looking for. There's a reference to Michael in chapter 12. Anybody see it? Which, which verse? One. Yes, there it is. Verse 1. 11's close. <laughs> At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. He's a chief prince. He's the prince who protects the people of God. Again, I, I, there is some kind of a hierarchy here. 
among the angels, not among the demons, but just as the demons are organized as an army, so God's angelic beings are organized as well according to rank or strength or assignment or role. Michael, his name means who is like God. If you go to Jude 9, you will read that he is referred to as an archangel. And in Revelation chapter 12, there is a reference to Michael in a war in heaven in which Michael attacks the dragon, Satan. And it says that Michael was accompanied by his angels. So there were other angels serving under his leadership. Now verse 10 talks about the fact that Michael came to help, to help. And in verse 21, it makes reference to the fact that he fights these demon princes. So Gabriel, who is also an archangel, who may or may not be the other one who was referred to here, but Gabriel is the messenger angel. Every time Gabriel shows up, he brings a message. He does that in the Christmas story. But whenever Michael shows, shows, shows up, he shows up as a warrior. He is the protector of God's people. Now, a question for those of you who are going to be talking about this in your life groups that you may want to look at this week, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in a reference to the second coming of Jesus, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the trumpet call of God, and the voice of the archangel. So you can debate whether that's Gabriel or Michael. And after you've had your debate, you can come and talk to me, and I'll set you straight on it. So there is this chief prince, the protector prince, Michael. Now I want to go back to the fourth point. I'm taking this a little out of order this morning. But I want to go back to the fourth point. I want you to see that in this passage, the prophet Daniel is both weakened and strengthened. Now it's interesting because in this passage, there are repeated references to Daniel being weak or weakness coming upon him Suddenly, verse 8, so I was left alone gazing at the great vision. Notice what he says. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Helpless. Look at verse, verse 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. Stand up. And the last line, and when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And the idea here is not so much of fear, but trembling because he's weak. His breath, as it were, has been taken away from him. Verse 17, how can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Now, I make reference to this because chapter 10 is highlighting Daniel's weakness and powerlessness. And as you get into chapter 11, you're going to see that, that, that Daniel, as it were, represents all of the people of God because the people in chapter 11, God's people, are weak and they are powerless. Daniel is a picture. He's a picture of a people who are overwhelmed and, and helpless. He cannot hear or even bear the sight of the vision. But notice, three times he is touched, touched by an angel. Verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Verse 16, then one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth. Verse 18, again the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. So you notice that he is strengthened here. And if you look at verses 7 through 19, the word strength or strength or strong or strengthened used six different times. Speak, Lord, since you have given me strength. So the prophet is weakened and then strengthened. Now finally, what I want you to see is the reason that the messenger came to Daniel in the first place. Go to verse 14. Verse 14. While he was saying this to me, I bowed my head. Oh, sorry, I'm at verse 15. I'm getting my verses mixed up today, aren't I? Now, verse 14. I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So the vision is about Persia. 
what's going to happen in the final days of Persia. The vision is about Greece. The, the, I think the vision even goes on to the time of Rome and even beyond. It goes on even to today. Now this is an extremely important message to Daniel and to us. The angel here artfully weaves together the reason for his coming to Daniel and his battle with these demon princes. Verse 20, he begins with a question. Do you know why I have come to you, he says? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and that battle is going to go on for about another 200 years until the Persian Empire collapses. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. This happens when Alexander becomes the great, the, the great one and conquers the known world at that time. So this is the reason why the angel has come. The angel has come to Daniel to give him some, some insight into what is coming in the future. Again, we're getting a glimpse of what is happening behind the scenes. And as soon as the message is delivered... He had to return to fight against the prince of Persia, and as I pointed out, then he would fight against the prince of Greece. Now when it comes to him fighting against the prince of Persia, we need to understand that this involved all of the decisions that were made under Persian rule. All of those decisions that were made that involved the people of God. And so even the Persian king saying, decreeing, that the Jews can go back to their land. This angel is at work behind the scenes, as it were, doing what he can to make this happen. The permission that is given to Ezra and to Nehemiah to go back and build, it all happens during this Persian era. One of the most wonderful books of the Bible is the book of es 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 Esther, and this is the Jews still living in Persia at the time of Xerxes. And if you read the book of Esther through, you will see that there is a divine hand of providence all through the book. God is at work in Persia, preserving his people from the attacks of the evil one. And that's what this is referring to here. Now notice, as I said, after Persia will fall, another beast will arise, and that beast is Greece. And this demon prince of Greece will seek to harm God's people. And again, we will see that next Sunday morning. This angel knew that another fight was awaiting him. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. I believe that the book of truth here then is a record of what is going to happen in the future. And in chapter 11 and 12 we have a detailed account of this. Now, we've come to the end of the overview of what we see in this passage, but I just want to sum it up with these words. In essence, what this messenger angel was saying to the prophet is this. Daniel, I, I want you to understand that in everything you're going to see, all the details of the future, as horrific as they are, understand this, that I am fighting for you and Michael is fighting for God's people. Okay, what do we do with this? Interesting stuff from Daniel 10. But let's talk now about a worldview from Daniel 10. A vision of reality that Daniel 10 gives to us. A set of glasses that helps us see and understand. The Bible gives us a worldview. Different people have different world worldviews. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you happen to be here today and, and, and all of this stuff doesn't make sense to you and you think that everything that happens in the world is purely secular and physical and material in nature, then that is your worldview. But if you're a follower of Christ and you understand the, 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 the unseen realm, that there is this heavenly dimension that, that intersects with this physical and tangible, tangible dimension in which you and I live, then, then you have a worldview also. You see, the visions that were given to Daniel were giving to him an interpretation of life. The visions were insisting that there are invisible forces behind what happens in history. Chapter 10 was, is interpreting and giving meaning and insight to all of the events that go on in our world. So what are these insights? Let me share with you six thoughts. Number one, 
What happens in history on the earthly plane is, t- is connected to what is happening in the heavenly realms. And we've seen that already. Daniel 10 gives us a glimpse of this, of this, of this truth. As you and I look at history, as we look at our world today, as we look at what is happening in the present, every single one of us, in one way or another, we, we seek to discern what is going on. And friends, it isn't just political intrigue. It isn't just political alliances. It isn't just one powerful kingdom after another replacing another. It's not just war worked out by human causes alone. There is more that is going on than meets the eye. Abraham Kuyper was the, a former prime minister of the Netherlands. He lived from 1837 to 1920. And uh, we're going to put his quote up on the screen. If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. What kind of activity in the heavenly realms is occurring right now over the Ukraine or over Moscow? What kind of spiritual activity in the heavenly realms is occurring right now in Canada, in Ottawa? Over the course of the past two years, we have talked about how God might possibly use COVID to advance his purposes around the world. I've wrestled, you've wrestled, we've all wrestled. What is God really doing? Why has God allowed all this to happen? What is his purpose in all of this? And I think our pastoral team, we have tried as best as we possibly can to give you messages on a Sunday morning focused on the need for us to be in prayer and to trust God that he is sovereign in working out his good will. I would submit to you today that we should not be surprised at all about the upheaval that is happening in our nation at the present time. And I say that not because of any personal convictions or opinions we might have regarding government policy or COVID itself. I say that because we have been in prayer and we've been asking God to work. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need to look beyond today our own personal convictions and opinions about the differing political stances that people are taking today that appear to be the root of this upheaval in Ottawa today. And we need to seek to discern what God is doing to advance the gospel and the kingdom of God. In 1980, Andrea and I left here and we traveled to Asia, to Southeast Asia and became missionaries in the Philippines for 10 years. When we arrived there, the Philippines had been under martial law for about eight years. In 1972, Ferdinand Marcos declared martial law. There was a lot of social and political chaos in the land. A dictatorial rule for sure, a shutdown of freedom of the press, there was, there, was a, there was a yearning for a change, and while the early days of martial law brought about some positive change, corruption began to sink in over time, and it led to what is known as the People Power Revolt when Marcos was knocked out of power, and a new democratic government was put into power. What we need to understand is that when Andrea and I arrived there, we actually arrived at a moment in time in which God was using the social and the political conditions as hard as they were. He was using those things to create a longing in the hearts of people to know God. And from 1972 until today, the Philippines has known a spiritual awakening, and hundreds of thousands of Filipinos have come to faith in Jesus Christ. God often uses these social and political upheavals 
in history and in culture to create an atmosphere in which the gospel can triumph. Most of us are very familiar with the American Civil War, the most horrific war that was ever fought on this side of the world, an incredible loss of life. When we read the history books about the American Civil War, we read about slavery, we read about the end of slavery, we, we, we read about um, Abraham Lincoln's great Gettysburg uh, dress. We, we learn about all of the political upheaval that happened during that time. What the history books don't tell us, now it's recorded, but the major history books don't tell us, is that during that time, there was an incredible awakening among Union and Confederate troops. And thousands of men turned to the Lord. So don't be surprised about what is happening in our nation today. Pray that we might discern what God is doing. What happens in history on the earthly plane is connected to what is happening in the heavenly realms. Now that brings me then to say that we also need then, in light of this truth, to re-image our current situation and personal circumstances. Isn't this what Daniel had to do for 70 years of his life? He had to look at what was going on and re-image that and understand that as bad as it seems, and I don't get it, and why would God do it, and why would God allow it, that as bad as it all seems, my personal circumstances have been ordained by God. My current situation falls within the wonderful, sovereign, providential, and gracious and loving rule of God. Some of us have experienced persecution. Re-image what you experience through the lens of Daniel 10. Last week I had a very disconcerting experience. Andrea and I had stopped at our mailbox on the street and got out to, to get uh, some letters. And, and a guy drove by in, by in a truck, and I, I won't give you, it wasn't one of the trucks that have gone to Ottawa, 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 it was a small truck. But he drove by on the street, and, and I won't tell you all that happened, but within a matter of moments, he tried to pick a fight with me. Now, I'm 65, this guy was in his 30s, and I'm like, seriously? I can't tell you how that, how that upset my soul. But later in the day, as I prayed about it, I realized that that was a spiritual attack. It, was, it wasn't just an ungracious, well, there's some other words I could use to describe him. It wasn't that at all. It was a spiritual attack. I am not saying that we are supposed to find a demon under every bush. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot more demons under your bushes than you realize. Number three, prayer activates angelic power and it incites demonic resistance. Verse 12 is just an incredible verse. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Incredible. And then three times in the passage, he's touched. Touched. In some way, this explains why prayer is so hard. Because of demonic resistance that comes. Let me say two things here. In a free and democratic nation, as followers of Jesus Christ, we may do everything that we can within the political process to effect change. All Canadians, regardless of their faith convictions, are free to vote. We're free to write letters, letters of protest. We're free to publish our views. We are free to engage in public debate. We are free to take part in lawful and peaceful protest. But as Christians, we must maintain our conviction and uphold the Bible's teaching that the most effective way to influence events and issues and culture and political leaders on the earthly plane is to be engaged in the heavenly realms 
by using the powerful weapon of prayer. We are talking much, and we are debating much about what is happening in our capital city. But our time would be better spent and our souls better served if the same energies and time were expended by us in prayer, beseeching our Heavenly Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The other thing I want to say in relation to this point of prayer activates angelic power and incites demonic resistance is this. I want to speculate a little bit here as to why Daniel did not go with the exiles back to the land. He he stayed in Babylon and, and then served in the Persian court. Now, it may have been that he was simply too old to go back. He was a very old man at this point in time, in his 80s. It may have been that the Persian king did not release him to do so, but demanded that he stay and allowed others to go. We don't really know. Daniel doesn't tell us. But I think Daniel did have, regardless of his circumstances of age or, or whose authority he was under or how free he was to do what he wanted to do, he had a deep conviction that he needed to remain there. You see, the rebuilding was taking place. God would, had raised up other leaders, Ezra and Nehemiah, but what these leaders needed, what they needed the most, was someone to engage in the hidden and strategic work of prayer for the defense of God's people and the advance of God's work. Daniel knew the strong opposition that they were facing to to rebuild. He knew that the people were discouraged. He knew that their work was a difficult work. He, he knew about the opposition, how fierce it was, how concerted it was against him, against them. Would this work fail? No, and one of the reasons why it would not fail was because Daniel prayed. It's remarkable, really. And here was a man who was not directly involved of all that was going on in Jerusalem at this time, but he had consecrated himself to advance God's work through prayer. And friends, we need such Daniels today. I want to speak to all of us, but particularly to those who are in your latter years, many of you who are watching online today, who've experienced waning strength and your health circumstances are not good. You cannot be engaged in God's work as you once were. But you can devote yourself to fast and to mourn and to pray for the church of God and the advance of the gospel. If we read Daniel and we do not discern the the importance of this, then we really have missed the most important lesson in the whole of the book because all through Daniel there is a common or a constant emphasis that Daniel's understanding, Daniel's wisdom, Daniel's discernment is the very thing that drove him to prayer. His recognition of his own weakness, the weakness of the people, the opposition that they faced, it drove him to prayer. Number four. Our weakness is not a handicap. Now there's another set of glasses to wear because we often feel that our weakness is. But our weakness is not a handicap. Daniel is a picture for us, a picture of the people of God. Chapter 10 highlights this weakness. Persia was so domineering and powerful. Greece was worse in terms of how it, um, uh, how it dealt with God's people. They, the Greece w- were trying to wear out the saints, and we'll get into detail about that next week. In chapters 10 through 12, in all of Daniel, really, we have seen great nations and kingdoms and empires and how powerful they are. And all of them controlled, as it were, by these powerful spiritual forces. And what did little Israel have? A bunch of slaves and servants in exile. What did they have? Well, here in Daniel 10, it tells us they had Michael. They had Michael. In Revelation 12, Michael is the one who engages the dragon in battle and hurls him down to the earth. In Psalm 34, verse 7, we read that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Daniel felt weak. 
The vision knocked the strength and the breath out of him. He couldn't speak, but the angel touched him and strengthened him. I don't know about you, but I I feel my weakness more and more, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. I feel it. It's so real to me. And the magnitude and the power of the spiritual forces that we face are, are sobering. We face opposition. We face hatred. We face powerful forces. And I am consoled so often by going to 2 Kings chapter 6 where we read of the ministry of the prophet Elijah and the, 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 the Arameans had surrounded Elisha and his servant. And his servant cried out because he saw the armies and the horses on the hills that surrounded Elisha. And he said, what shall we do? And Elisha spoke up and said, don't be afraid of those who, because those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And he prayed that God would open his servant's eyes and the Lord did the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked up and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Hallelujah. Friends, keep this in mind. While we're talking here about spiritual warfare, it is easy to read a passage like this and think that Satan's power is equal to God's. Nothing could be further from the truth. We see here, as it were, a powerful adversary in the prince of Persia. And what is he able to do? He's able to delay the messenger who comes from God by three weeks. That's the best that he can do. And so he is powerful. He can delay, but he could not stop because God's power is greater. And the prince of Persia was doing everything he could to attack God's people and to impede God's work. Our weakness is not a handicap. The Apostle Paul said that our strength is made perfect in our weakness. God's strength comes through when we are weak. And like Daniel, we too are touched, and we too are strengthened by the living God. Number five. Our discipleship-making vision as a church is about war with the dark powers. I don't know if we really look at ministry. I don't know if we look at the church. I don't know if we we understand who we are in this world. We are the soldiers of the army of salvation that God is raising up to save the world. And we should not lay down our arms until every nation is bowed on bended knee before the Lord. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, something is going on in the heavenly realms. There is a battle for the souls of men and women. When the gospel is preached, when the word is preached, even in a worship service, there is a battle and a struggle that is going on in the heavenly realms. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26 was standing before King Agrippa and he gave his testimony to the king. And he told the king how God had touched him, how the Lord Jesus had knocked him off his horse and saved, saved, saved him. And he told King Agrippa what Jesus said to him. And Jesus said this to him. I am sending you, Paul, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they've had their eyes opened and they've turned from the power of Satan to the power of of the living God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. But whenever someone comes to faith in Christ, God causes his light to shine through and they see the glory of God in the face of Christ and they are changed forever. Every time we share Christ, every time we seek to build people up in the faith, in the heavenly realms, there's spiritual activity taking place. And friends, this is borne out all through the book of Acts when they went to plant churches in various places because everywhere the apostles went to plant a church, they had to confront the dark powers that were there. When Philip went down to Samaria, Simon the sorcerer was there seeking to disrupt what God the Holy Spirit was doing. When the apostle Paul was in, was in the town of Uh, Philippi and preaching the gospel there a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination of fortune telling was there to confront Paul when Paul preached the gospel in 
Ephesus, people turned to the Lord in mass and they, 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 they took the books that they had used in their sorcery and the dark arts and they burned them all. And what was the result? There was a riot in the city. We need prayer. We need the armor of God in our mission. We need to be filled with the Spirit and we need to be trusting God to use us for his glory as we seek to bring people from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of the true and living God. Finally, our God controls the details of history itself. And I'll stop there and we'll get into that next Sunday morning. And we'll look at Daniel chapter 11. I want to speak to those of you who are watching us online. Um, Those of you watching online, we have noticed over the course of the last two years that when we get to this point in our worship service, the end of the message, before we have our final song, that our listening or watching audience goes right down like this. In other words, many of you tune out at the end of the message. And I'm going to ask you to stay with us, please, until after our final song, because I have a few more words that I want to share that will be very brief that are pertinent to you. As we've already seen this morning in Daniel, Daniel prayed for 21 days, three weeks. He was in a, he had a time of fasting, a time of mourning. He prayed for his people. He prayed that God would restore them to the land. I'm sure he prayed for many things. But it struck me as I was preparing this message this week, particularly on Friday, that 21 days, you know, you ever had those experiences in the Bible where something just sort of jumps off the page at you? I had one of those jump off the page Bible experiences. In 21 days, just, I realize that from this Sunday until we go to two services on March the 6th, is exactly 21 days. I am asking you to join me in concerted prayer, fasting, and mourning for the next 21 days. We have lost so much in these past two years. And we need to mourn that again. And we need to ask God to restore to us what we knew before as a local church. I could say so much. I'm asking the ministry team to join me for concerted prayer for the next 21 days. We began the year with Seek Week, but COVID numbers were so high and I got COVID at that time too. I wasn't able to participate with all of you. Our numbers were very low. It's like I want to reinstitute Seek Week, but let's call it Seek God for three weeks. I'm asking the elders to join me. I'm asking the deacons. I'm asking you. I'm asking those of you who watch online, many of our prayer warriors. I'm asking you to join for the next 21 days. We will pray that God will do something in our land, in our nation, all that's going on in the heavenly realms. Ask God for an end to COVID and ask God that he would restore the totality of our church family again to this place. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.